Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is a podcast from Minute Media. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this week, and also we are going to talk about one of your requests. We've been asking people to leave us comments on Apple Podcasts. Just leave a rating. Five stars, preferable, as well as a comment requesting an old... Let's just commit to the five stars. It's easy. You know, leave us six stars. Let's just say that. Six stars, something around that. uh, And then uh, leave us a comment with an old graphic novel or trade collection or something like that, and we will review it at some point on the show. This week, we're going to be reviewing Asterius Polyp, and we'll get into whether it is or is not one of the greatest graphic novels of all time. Most of the world agrees it's one of the greatest graphic novels of all time. We'll see if anybody on this podcast disagrees. But let's kick it off with some new stuff first. Earth Prime Stargirl, number one from DC Comics, Ooh. written by James huh. Robinson and Paula Seven Bergen, art by Jerry Ordway. Now, this is part of the event that DC has been running with the Arrowverse shows, taking them in content, comics continuity, taking some of the writing team and allowing them to tackle the comic book world, but through this TV world, all building up to a big event. The trick here, though, is that we got a Stargirl comic from James Robinson, who is writing on Stargirl. My guy. But is also one of the greatest comic book writers of all time. So that said, you got him, you got Jerry Ordway, Great comic book artist as well. So classic. I, I know we've been a little back and forth about these, but this felt like just at a base level a slam dunk to me of a comic book. What'd you guys think? Well, I thought it was a great continuation of the TV show. I thought it, it had a lot of the same beats. Uh, really love the Mike in here. You know what I mean? We got some great Mikey lines. You know, he's over it. He's like, you know, Dad, why don't you go for a hike? I mean, come on. These are just classic Mikey <laughs> one-liners, and it's nice to see wow. uh, old, uh, just, just real James quick, Robbie on that uh, 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 grasping it. 
James how, I don't know how he got inside that Mikey head space and was able yeah. to really Just a, uh, master this character. Quick note about plot. The family is headed out on a much-deserved break after the events of season two of Stargirl. They're going camping together, but that gets interrupted by an old supervillain of Pat Dugan's by going by the name the of the Needle. And then it spins off into something entirely different after that. Justin, you're a huge James Robinson fan. What do you think about this one? Yeah, you're uh, a huge fan. I'm a needlehead, a huge fan of the original Starman series. James Robinson's work on that. Um, some of the other larger university expanded out from there, um, bringing back a big nostalgia flavor to comic books, I think has really expanded into so much of, of modern comics. <clears throat> this, um, first off, Pete, you had to be psyched about the Luke Wilson uh, of it all here. Like, truly, what a... It's like you could take one of these... Uh, put it on your wall and kiss it every night before you go to bed. <laughs> uh, but no reaction there, no problems. That means it's going to happen. Uh, I, as compared to the other sort of um, Earth Prime stuff that we've seen, where they really are sort of just like a little bottle episode um, spinning out of the TV series, this feels like a comic book, and I was psyched about that. We get some um, connections to a larger world I won't spoil later on. And the Jerry Ordway art lends this sort of classic focus. Yeah. The last page is beautiful and sweet, and uh, it's a fun read. It's adorable. The, the needle in particular, the villain, it's funny. It almost pivots from being about Stargirl, being about Pat Dugan and all of those characters about halfway through the book. It just focuses on this weird, obscure supervillain, and that to me is... Primo James Robinson. It feels like something yeah. that could have been in the Starman comic book and would have fit right in there. So in my mind, this is easily the best of these Earth Prime books so yeah. far and worth a pickup, even if you aren't reading Stargirl. If you're a fan of James Robinson's book, obviously Paula Sevenbergen also worked on this as well. So I don't want to diminish that accomplishment. Um, but Great comic. Very fun. Next up, Savage Avengers, number one for Marvel, written by David Peoples, who I believe we've had on the live show before. We have. Art by Colin Magno. And this is his first work for Marvel. This is, as you can probably figure out from the title, a bunch of the most savage Avengers all teaming together to save Conan from some time-traveling adventures. Specifically, Deathlock is gunning for him. Pete... This seems right up your alley. What'd you think about this book? Hell yeah, it is. Uh, you got Deathlock, you got Conan. You know, there's a lot of fighting. There's a ton of action. This is just, you got like a Hulk Wolverine thing going on in here. This Hulk is just- Wolverine, baby. Hulk Wolverine, yeah. Wolverine. You even got a little cloak and dagger. I mean, this is just your childhood fighting itself. It's great. It's a lot of fun, <laughs> you know. Uh, you, you got some sweet Venom stuff going on. Yeah, this is a, a great mix em up of a lot anti-venom. of like, uh, yeah, sorry, anti-Venom. Uh, he's in the white suit. It's uh, very cool. Uh, brings, you, brings you back. Um, yeah, I just think it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a ton of fun and it's well executed. Um, I agree. This book, like Savage Avengers, I feel like it has the fl- the flavor of like a uh, all knife points X Force book from uh, like ten years ago, where it's like, oh, this book's gonna go hard. Let's see what they do. And unlike some executions in this style, this book does go hard. It goes it hard, hard and fast. It touches on a lot of different pockets of the Marvel universe that are sort of on the extreme edge in a great way. 
I got sort of emotional psyched when I saw Cloak and Dagger. Oh, yeah. Me back to the Cloak and Dagger TV show in a way where I was like, oh, I love these characters. I want to see them. They're always right in the pattern where they're just like, oh, there's some trouble over here. And Cloak's like, you know, I've been thinking about our relationship. And <laughs> I really want it. And it's just like, of course he's oh, saying that. And then something horrible blows out of his face or whatever. Like, it's just all right there. Um I, I, I just want to where... throw out there, it's interesting that you say blow out of his face, the one place that's actually solid on him. Yes, right. His face. Well, yeah, that's... his face, other than blowing his nose, like nothing's really coming out of his face. The rest of his body, lots of stuff coming out of there. Uh, and the way we, so I will like lightly spoil where we end here. Um, there is, we're moving into sort of a Conan world. And we were talking uh, about Marvel sort of losing Conan, right? Um as a you're on our news beat yes yeah in july we're losing it so it feels like king um, conan's going to be the last uh what that jason aaron's doing uh it feels like maybe this will be sort of the last use of conan and i feel like this could really be like an epic send-off in the pages of of this book as well as the king conan stuff that i'll tell you what it's really hard to lose so many different conans in the same year Conan the Barbarian, Conan uh, the O'Brien. Team Coco. Team Coco. House of Slaughter. That's what's going on with the Conans in the world. Number six, Boom Studios, written by James Town IV and Sam Johns, script by Sam Johns, art by Letizia Cadonici. In this issue, we're kicking off a new arc here, focusing on the people who have red masks instead of white masks and black they're, masks. Right. They're in Scarlet. the house. Yes. They're in the house of slaughter. You they're know, in the like house. People go the out house. and they do slaughtering, but you know someone's got to take care of the house part. But you know what I mean? this is a very different type of story. It is uh, shepherded by Sam Johns. It's a little moodier. It's a little more introspective. It's a little more emo purposely as well, given creepy the characters that we're following. Feels. You got a creeper librarian. You got a weird chess match going on here. But still, yeah. oh man, really enjoying the spinoff. Good times. Now, Pete, you must—you're a huge Alfred guy, so like any sort of house care must be sort of like a real feather in your cap. Uh, I hate you, but I think that uh, regardless of where we kind of. Uh, uh, point the kind of camera if you will in this house of slaughter stuff i'm so happy to learn more about the different kind of teams and how they work together and all this kind of stuff so i've been eating this up uh james tynan the fourth is killing it and uh, I really appreciate the fact that we're really kind of getting to see a lot of different uh, a lot of different stuff in this series exploring the world it's crazy to me that um, a book like something is killing the children um, and this spinning out of that. I am almost more pulled in by this book than mm. the title that it, the sort of much more popular How title that it started. Dare you. Not an insult to that because that book is still great, but the open world nature of this and the way they're exploring um, everything, all the possibilities here. It has, if you're a Harry Potter fan, um, you uh, were Potter. a Harry Potter fan back in when you were younger. This has that same feel with like a harder edge to it, a little more horror. It's, it's exciting. Um, I really, really love this book. 
Next up, Duo, number one from DC Comics, yeah. written by Greg Pak, art by Koi Pham. In this issue, we are meeting two scientists who are working with nanobots. They end up in a big accident, and some things get weird and horrible from there. Pete, I know you're freaking out about this book. Talk about it a little bit. All right, well, uh, get ready, because Duo, number one, is one of the greatest first issues of all time. <laughs> Check your pants for kick prints, because it's a fucking back attack. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You got this really yeah. interesting world. It's really unbelievable. Our fun last page reveal. This is everything you want in the first issue, baby. Come out! Check your pants for kick prints is maybe one of the, my favorite things you've ever said to the page. <laughs> um, and just to give a little background on that, Greg Pak, when he would come on our live show, right. would often say it's a real kick in kick the pants. It's almost a catchphrase for him. Uh, and we called it out as such. And the fact that you are using it and bouncing it back, Pete, uh, that's my review. If Pete <laughs> loves it, I love Pete's love. Um, I, I mean, but more specifically, like, Greg Pak's a great comic book writer, and to have him create something that is like brand new and sort of um, a firestorm adjacent type character to give you a little bit of a sense, um, but dealing with more of a relationship. And honestly, um, this character feels like Greg Pak. Yeah, uh, am I, <laughs> am I reaching when bit. I say that this yeah. may be a personal story for? Um, the the pocket talk um, here. Uh, I'm. It's very fun, and the fact that it's for DC Comics even more fun. Yeah. This to me felt like a top tier Valiant book, just in terms yeah. of being oh, weird sci-fi, strange new world things going on in a very specific place that don't seem connected to anything else. The art is real good from Koi Fam as well. Uh, I agree with you guys. Really enjoyed this book. Definitely check this out if you're looking for a new weird messed up kind of horrific sci-fi horror book next up speaking of horror i hate this place number one from image comics written by kyle starks art by artyom toplin and the just to give you an idea of what's about to come your way the actual name of this book is fuck this place it's not i hate this place <laughs> they had to censor it for the comic book stands but the idea here is a couple inherits a house they move to the house and quickly no. find out the house has everything wrong with it that you could possibly move. imagine just move ghosts can't move. they can't move ghosts ufos horrible creatures absolutely everything else mobsters antler man this shit's bad oh my Don't god it's move. great this is not like kyle stark's previous comedy stuff though there is some dark humor going on here yeah. but it is so over the top as he talks about in the back matter it is a mashup of every single horror thing he could think of to make it the ultimate horror book love this introduction cannot wait to see what happens here and how absolutely terrible things are going to get particularly with the ending pete go ahead well, first off, I just don't understand if you get to a place and then you find out it's haunted, you just don't unpack. You turn around and whatever money you just lost, you eat it so you can live your you life. Eat the yeah. money? You eat, eat the money? it. You eat just eat it. You say, you know what? It's better to live in a cardboard box and survive than go into this hell house. Um, I, I, it drives me nuts when I'm yelling at people, but. 
this this is just like uh, every, uh, it's saying in the back. It's just over the top fun and just turned up to eleven kind of haunted house style. So I'm very interested to see where this goes and how this all unfolds. It's completely insane. Um, I let the what's hard to establish in a, a first issue of a comic is tone. Um, you you lay out a premise. You put some characters out there. That's usually sort of what you get and then you move forward from there. This comic does such a great job of being establishing the tone of like, hey, this is a fucked up place, and these characters are stuck there. And it's just a pile-on of different things. It reminded me a little bit of Cabin in the Woods, Mm -hmm. Um, if you guys remember that great movie that was sort of like uh, almost like a catch-all of horror movies um, as the reveal later on in the movie um, sort of tells us. This sort of has a little bit of that energy with some characters who are put upon, uh, but cute, charming, seemingly great relationship here. Uh, Definitely a fun first issue this week. Breakout, number two from Dark Horse Comics, written by Zach Kaplan, art by Wilton Santos. We really dug the first issue of this book that took place in a world where every once in a while, kids are taken by the giant floating cubes in the sky, and a bunch of kids decide, you know what, we're going to fight back. We're going to break into these cubes, uh, uh, conversely to the title of the book, and break out some people who are inside the cubes. Hence the title of the book. Oops. Uh, and that's Oops. where we pick up here as they put their Ocean's Eleven style plan together only for everything to go terribly wrong, at least at first. We love the first issue, as I mentioned. What do we think about the second one? Well, I, I really like the kind of choice that we're making here. Like at first it was kind of like this thing of that, like hanging over them as they're trying to live their lives kind of in fear of who's going to take in and what's going to happen. I like the fact that we're working on a plan and they we've got some kind of personal interest in who's taken and how we can try to get them back. Uh, I think this is exciting. I think I really like how it's moving forward and I kind of liked the kind of character build up monologue to kind of explain the kind of reasons behind it. I thought great kind of uh, taking something that we already loved and turning the intensity up a little bit, moving the uh, story forward. Uh, hell of a follow-up issue. I'm still in, enjoying the crap out of this. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I mean, it's a borrows hugely from Ocean's Eleven to the point where in this issue, they're like, Hey, my mom wants to watch Ocean's Eleven. Do you want to watch it? And we get a couple like <laughs> frames. Like, and I appreciate like doing using that reference in the story and then actually referencing it in the comic, uh, taking ownership of it, really fun. But the tone of this is so strong. The sci-fi world and stakes are super well established in the last issue and this issue. And the fact that it's moving quickly um, to the point where shit goes down at the end of the issue, that is scary. Uh, I'm psyched. Yeah, I'm excited to see the next issue in particular as we're really starting to get to it. Next up, Shadow War Zone, number one from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, Nadia Seamus, Ed Bryson, Stephanie Phillips, art by Otto Schmidt, Sweeney Boo, Mike Bowden, and Anne Molina. It's the cutest name in comics, I'm sorry. Sweeney Boo! Sweeney Boo! Uh, This is an anthology book following the Shadow War Zone, Shadow, Shadow, what's it called? Shadow War? War Zone? I don't know. There's some sort of event happening. Shadow War Zone. There you go. Anyway, there's an event happening with Deathstroke, and he's fighting a bunch of Batmans or whatever. I don't even care. Pete, talk about this. Oh, my God. Wow. I should have done more research. This is on me. 
Okay. Well, regardless, uh, yeah, shit's going down. And um, there's this kind of, I, I can't believe I'm the guy explaining this, but the, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's his, oh my, no, this is horrible. <laughs> oh, this is my nightmare. Normally yeah, I just yeah. say bananas and then we yeah, move just, on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. V, who are you trying to think of? Deathstroke? Yeah, no, 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 never mind. Just say Anyways, what you liked about the book. It's okay, good. Maker. Let's just let's just stick to what I'm good at here. Uh, I really I thought this was a really Bananas. fun story. I loved the art in this. Uh, the kind of uh, the moment where Canary and Oracle are on the phone together was really badass and fantastic. I like what's happening here. If Ra's al Ghul is, uh, you know, dead or, Rage. you know, suppose, uh, Rage al Ghul, sorry, uh, is, is dead and who did it and all this kinds of stuff. Sorry, and Rage al Rachel Gull. F- fuck all y'all. Uh, I just like the kind of dealing with the ripple effects of that. And what does that mean for everybody else? Uh, and I think that this is a kind of a cool event to explore that. So hells to the, yeah. Um, it's interesting to do an event this way where it is like sort of just touching on different elements of mostly bat continuity here. But um, I really, the first story um, dealing with the this, this spin out of um, Rachel Gould dying, where we focus on Black Canary, I thought was like great. Uh, and yeah. I'm, I'm in the tank for um, Josh Williamson's work in general, but uh, I thought this was awesome. But the other stories I liked as well, like, touching dropping in on different characters dealing with their own shit that isn't a stance is only loosely related at first and assuming it's going to sort of tie up in different ways talia is a character i've always loved but she's used from the batman the animated series she's used mostly in the dc universe as a villain who comes in and is like well i did this and to actually be in her head more is exciting um she's skirting that line in a Catwoman way of uh could be a hero someday um orphan maker and then we get a um uh, a final story justin that... I, d- I just want to say if you really like her you know in the Arrowverse, uh they really explored her character a little bit more so i would say check that out maybe really mm-hmm. the Arrowverse that's tv right yeah that's on yeah. television okay mm-hmm. um, C- cw used to be a thing i don't know how, how much of a thing it is anymore but not much man not much uh, <laughs> losing ground uh then we get harley quinn at the end um just yeah some fun um so Good yeah times. i i like this sort of across the board uh dropping in i'm curious what the event is amounting to the Fox, number one from Archie Comics, written by Dean Hashbiel, Vito Del Sante, and Alex Toth. Art by Dean Hashbiel, Richard Ortiz, and Alex Toth. We had the writing team. I was going to say, if, it's too bad we didn't have Mom to talk about this. We did, though. We had them on the live we show did. a couple of weeks back. I, that's why I'm bringing it up. Uh, and we talked about this book, and we read this book to talk huh. about it. That's a weird coincidence. What did you guys think about this now that it is out in the wild? Well, uh... I, what I think these guys are, these guys are like, have been working at comics for so long, have been consuming comics. Um, check out uh, our chat with them because we, we talk about literally how long we've known them, how long um, they've been working. Vito worked at Jim Hanley's universe for like 10 years. Like these people are steeped in comics and you see it in the work. Like there's a depth here. Like uh, there's a great panel on like the sixth page of the front story that Dean Hashfield does where it's the fox looking out over the city saying, why does the story have to end? And it's just one panel in the middle of like a larger story. And 
there's just a, a depth here. There's meaning placed um, in each of these, and that is exciting to see. And also some great humor as well. Um, yeah, I also love how the artists in this book really kind of, when you have the fox, you, you, you don't have a lot of facial stuff to work with. So the kind of like using the bigger eyes and stuff to kind of uh, share with uh, how the fox is feeling. Love it. Uh, just so great. Uh, yeah, I think this is a great, great package. Definitely worth checking out. I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Harp. This is With Nothing to Say. And let's talk about movies. With over 3,000 films log, Andrew and I, best friends since middle school, have dedicated our lives to watching, making, and talking about movies. Each week, Andrew and I handpick a movie he's seen, I've seen, or neither of us have seen, and dive deep into anything and everything to wannabe cinephils could ever think of. From horror to dramedy, we do it all. So join us as we talk about everything movies, and maybe you too can become a bona fide cinephil. Hello, my name is Silas and I'm one of the hosts on Uploading Podcast. On my show, we talk about tech and gaming news stories that you probably wouldn't hear about on other podcasts. Japanese gaming furniture brand Bahamut launched its first gaming bed. We'll also chip in our own quirky opinions and a lot of weird adult jokes. This version of her has very... <laughs> they the boobs. <laughs> It's just coming out soon. <laughs> That's what he said. That's what Intel said. So if you enjoy that, search Uploading Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Alice Ever After, number two from Boom Studios, written oh, by boy. Dan Panosian, art by Giorgio Spalletta. This comic book, if you missed a review of the first issue, is about what if Alice oh, was... Man actually crazy and <laughs> doing drugs mm. uh, and sort of works on things from there, weaving in ideas from both Alice in Wonderland and through the looking glass into this more realistic take on it. Here we find Alice in an insane asylum and dealing with various characters there. Man, I continue to love this book. It's very off kilter to read, which is in line with Lewis Carroll's books. But the art by Giorgio Spalletta in particular is really gorgeous and beautiful to look at. Love the designs here. Love all the hints and teases to other characters throughout the Lewis Carroll continuity. Great stuff. Yeah, this book is, uh, it's got a dark edge to it. And it's kind of a nightmare scenario where it's like, uh, well, what if Alice was just imagining all this and then it was kind of in this horrible situation? And uh, yeah, it's scary. And, uh, you know, I'm a little worried about what's going to happen to Alice. But man, the art and the storytelling is fantastic. Uh, but yeah, I love the kind of uh, attention that this uh, story brings. This book is so dark. Yeah. It's dark colors. Everything's sad all the time with this. Um, everything's stressful. I feel like a lot of books sort of that do, that do this take um, a storybook character and, and pull them into the real world, keep some of that like fanciful escape. This Alice feels like she has no way out and only bad things are going to happen to her. Oh, well, but I think on. that's consistent that. with the books, though, because in the books, it's just like she's having a total nightmare the entire time. Terrible things are happening to her constantly, and they're presented in this very cheeky arch way, but... Uh, this feels very true to the source material to me. I, I mean, I agree with you, but we didn't check back in with Alice's reality and be like, oh, she's drowning. And it feels mm. like this book is like, oh man, this um, fantasy world is stressful. And there's like, and if you think that's stressful, 
check out reality it sucks too and it's like i'm like okay that's hard it's hard to uh take in anyway great book though king spawn number 10 from image comics written by sean lewis art by javi fernandez in this issue we're getting a black white and red book but with spawn as there is a battle royale to make the way to king spawn pete what'd you think about this one well, this continues to kind of uh, move forward in, in such a cool way for Spawn. It's it's hard to focus. It sounds like somebody's car is exploding in the background. Um, I, I think that I am very excited for what's happening with Spawn and this whole thing of, like, will he take the throne or not? And what does that mean? And how are we going to kind of save the day here? And I really, you know, it's this thing of, like, does Spawn deserve this kind of happy ending a little bit or this world where he and Wanda could maybe be happy and what does that mean and uh, you know like all this kinds of stuff that's been dealing with for a while but it's kind of feeling uh, fresh and new again uh, I'm having a blast uh, I would shout out the art in this book I mm-hmm. think it uh, really elevates the story and the story's doing well too it's like much larger storytelling um, going on in this in King Spawn than we've seen in this sort of Spawn world in a long time. Um, and I like that this sort of focuses on a uh, almost a heist uh, storyline while touching on the larger things. It's very melodramatic, and I don't have the depth of Spawn knowledge to be like, I understand why these characters are so upset, Um, but I appreciate that they are. And the fact that the art is epic at the same time, the story is broadening out makes for a fun read. Fables 151 from DC Comics, written by Bill Willingham, art by Mark Buckingham. In case you couldn't figure out by the numbering in an absolutely bonkers way, years later, this is just straight up continuing the story of Fables going from 150 the final issue of the title to 151 here we're back in it again just like how bacardi 151 picks up on the storylines of bacardi 150 and all the ones that came before Mm -hmm. i appreciate this Um, i missed bacardi 37 and i haven't been able to keep up keep up (laughs) since but you know yeah Uh, um that was the issue where you woke up um on the beach wasted yeah. Well, uh, I gotta say, this is just like a, a feel good where, you, you know, it's like, holy shit, is it back? Oh my God, it's the same team. What are they going to pick up? Oh, right where we left off. It just feels so great to be back. They're doing the same magical things with the paneling and all the stuff in between the panels. This is just such a cool idea. And this classic story of like, hey, old guy, your time is over. The new team's here to take over. So a fun idea, cool continuation, exciting to see what this means for everybody in kind of Fable Town. So uh, I'm in it to win it and very excited to it's back. Oh, what are you planning on winning? Actually, let me ask you, Pete. When More you fables. Say that, when you say the story is about um, a new person coming over to kick out the old person, which side do you fall on as you're reading this? Well, you know, as you know, a young reader, I was on the young side, but now as an old guy, you know, it's kind of like, hey, uh, you didn't earn your stripes yet, you know, Sonny. Why don't you get back in line? You know, so uh, it's interesting how when you. <laughs> Read stories and you change with the story is the same. Different things you take away from it. Uh, uh, Last Unicorn is still a fucking nightmare. Wow. Uh, touching on stuff randomly across the world. Um, this, reading this comic, to take Pete's point a little bit, 
is a time machine. It really did take me back. Yeah. Picking it up here and being able to to dive right back in. I had it just visions of myself walking around Midtown Comics how many years ago? A decade is when this was regularly coming out and wrapping up and picking up this being so excited to pick up this book, reading it like on the subway going to like a commercial audition. And I was like, <laughs> holy shit. So I'm time traveling in my own life reading this. And then to actually have the characters be not time traveling and instantly still in the same headspace moving forward without any written confidently and drawn perfectly without any sort of break, this just doesn't happen in comics. So it's super exciting and sort of unheralded this new release here. It's just like happening. Well, I'll throw out something as a counterpoint because I'm also, I agree with you guys. It didn't miss a beat, but fables went on too long story-wise anyway is oh, one wait, thing that I'll What It did. It did. Well, it, it, I understand why you say you that. Remember because... the, like the Fable War and everything that happened? That was crazy. But here's what happened. Bill Willingham has said this. He was like, I got to the end. I wanted to tell. And I was like, I'm just going to keep going. Mm-hmm. So he blew through his ending into like new stuff. And it didn't have the same narrative impact. I think most everyone agrees with that but i also think i enjoyed having more story to tell totally i'm 100 on board with that just my question going into this is like is that more what is going to happen here at this point is that more of that what is the purpose for bringing it back at this point why are we continuing at fables 151 I am looking that gift horse straight in the mouth. I'm sticking my head in that mouth and I'm checking how many teeth that horse has. Oh, and I want to know how many teeth before I buy the horse. That's all I'm saying. Alex, you're made of oats. You can't be in a horse's mouth because that <laughs> yeah, horse is going to eat you to shreds. Yeah, yeah, Fair, point. Fair point. Get out of that horse's mouth. Um, Because I, I don't think we're going to get some sort of epic grand scale thing because that wasn't in the plan. I think we're going to get one more loop closed on these characters. But I do think that Bill and Mark are telling a story that is about now what they think. Like, I think Mm -hmm. Pete talking about, like, a new guard taking over for an old guard feels very much like a story that these guys would want to tell now, having been in comics for, like, decades. So I think there's there's good fodder here for a a new story that isn't as grand scale as you're talking about. But so it's still you're saying it'll be like the original run was like the Dirty Harry of runs, and this run is going to be more like the Grand Torino of runs. Oh, no one on. wants that comparison. No one is. No one is. <laughs> yeah, that was horrible. No one's like, where's I, I do my next think, Grand Torino? I do think, uh, you know, after all this time, though, that, that I'm sure that they have more stories to tell, and they should give be given the opportunity. To we'll tell see. those stories, we'll see. Yeah. Prove it. You I want to see well, these kids prove it. Or, you know, maybe it's truly a, are. I was going to say maybe it's a, it's an idea where these you know fabled characters get this amazing deal with Fox, and then Fox just kind of like takes it takes their idea and then kicks them to the side. You know what I mean? ABC, wow. ABC is what. Oh, ABC. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Also, Pete's get your Fox channels too. right, man. Yeah. Yeah. The the Fox is a great comic we just talked about, uh, but I think this comic is truly unforgiven and more of the mule for what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. Two the Shailen Cowboy, Sarah. Cruel to Be Kin, number one from Dark Horse Comics by Jeff Darrow. In this issue, the Shailen Cowboy fights a giant lizard in the desert, and then that lizard's son eats him. 
and some other stuff goes on. This book is absolutely wild. Spoilers, dude. Jesus oh, H. So, that spoils barely any of the book. Jeff Darrow's art, as always, is bananas good. Whoa. Okay. What's he going to say then? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, man, I love this. I had such a blast reading it. Pete? Uh, it's worth it for the art alone. Yeah, I just think that this is just a magical book. Uh, brings you into a magical world. Tells a fantastic story. Doesn't use a lot of words. You know what I mean? Let's the picture really tell the tale. Um, yeah, I, I, very creative, very cool. Just just a fun-ass comic is what this is. Uh, it is that. Um, the Shallon Cowboy feels like... <laughs> um, a guy on vacation, like he's an older guy who's like on vacation. And he's just like, well, I guess I got to go fight some stuff uh, all the time, which I think is fun. The art is beautiful. And um, it is the book is having fun with what's happening in it. Hell yeah. A Town Called Terror, number two from Image Comics, written by Steve Niles, art by Sismon Kudrowski. We were, I think, a little bit mixed about the first issue, which found a guy being summoned back to his town where only monsters live. Justin, if I remember correctly, in particular, you said it felt like we didn't really get any information on anything in that first issue. Here he is back in the town. He's talking to his daddy. He beats up a Frankenstein at a bar. How are you feeling about spoilers? All of it now? Jesus H. Who he didn't say cares? which Frankenstein. Yeah, that's a good um, point. Well, when we're talking about, a I'm talking about called... a doctor. He beat up a doctor because, as yeah. we know, Frankenstein is the doctor, not the monster. Yep. Yeah, that's good a call. great point. When we're talking great about a T called T two, it's a book that is uh, drawn in a uh, fun way, dark. Um, but the story is still being a little bit coy with the details, you know? Well, all right. We still don't know what's I, I happening. We know no, we no, have some I siblings. Like, I feel like this does a good job moving the story forward just enough to kind of get you a little bit more excited about what's happening. Plus, the the fight sequence is insane. Uh, the use of reds and, and, and blacks in this issue is really uh, a fantastic for kind of the horror tone of everything. Uh, creatively and visually, this is, a, this is a really fun package. Well, Nightwing number 92 from DC <laughs> Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Bruno Redondo. In this issue, we are getting Nightwing dealing with the fallout of setting up a nice little town square with a tribute to Alfred Pennyworth. And you Hell know what? Yeah. Blockbuster does not like that, okay? He no. does not like a statue. He doesn't like a pleasant little park to hang out in. And he's coming right for him. We're also getting a flashback sequence here, courtesy Bruno Redondo going back in the time that has some old school art into it. This book continues to be phenomenal every single issue. I love it. The end. One of the best, if that's the end, then I'm also happy. Uh, I, I would say no more. Um, no, no, please say, go ahead. Please go ahead. Um, I love this book also. This is one of the best books on the stands. And uh, we get to the, the flashback is like perfectly, perfectly composed. We're getting so much um, Dick Barbara love in this comic, which I'm here for. And I got to say that Alfred statue is a little on the nose. Let me be honest. Oh, come on, well, dude. Because honestly, come if, on. If you, if you walk, you're walking dude. around this. You walk around this garden, and you're like, the some the statue is like, hey, sometimes heroes don't need to wear masks or whatever. And it's like, who's it? This guy's the butler for Batman. 
It's reveal, revealing the whole game. You can't put mask on a butler statue. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Sometimes Batman's need sandwiches. Ugh, boo. All right, so don't ruin this for me. All right, this is... All right. First off, Nightwing continues to be one of the best comics on the shelf, and it has been for a long ass time. All right, Taylor's run, Seeley's run. We agree been... with you. You don't have to fight with us. Well, no, fuck you. You got your turn. Now it's my turn to talk about this. We're this... all saying the same thing. We all agree. <laughs> We're all friends. Counterpoint. I like this. Fuck yeah. No, I like this. I, I can't fucking say my piece on this. No, or what? you can say it. Well, then it's just shut funny. the fuck up. It's just funny you're pushing back against someone who also agrees with you. <laughs> I don't care. All right. So I just think that it's like really well done, super creative, and you're goddamn right Alfred deserves a statue. Hell yeah. And a nice little adorable park. I think it was great to see Ace. Um, I, I, I think this the is dog. just... Yeah, of course. And uh, I just think uh, this is a fun fantastic book that continues to deliver issue after issue shut the fuck up well but let me i say, disagree what, i agree let me yeah agreed <laughs> to agree to disagree to agree but let me say don't you think that inscription should have been on the statue should have been something a little more coy it's a little too close to saying like i'm batman's butler friend <laughs> not close what would enough. you what would you put on the statue for words like gray at cucumber sandwiches. Uh, I'm a, maybe I would have put something like Alfred, uh, you know, more than a butler, more than somebody uh, being a comfort or a constant in somebody's life. Don't overlook people, you pieces of shit. A little I'm long, saying, little long for an inscription. I'm not. It, you're not writing my gravestone. You're goddamn right. Words. It was a pretty large statue, and it felt like a missed opportunity to say, "I like big butlers." Oh, my God. I like big Big. butlers, and I cannot lie. The Wrong Earth, purple number one from Ahoy Comics, written by Stuart Moore and David Hyde, art by Fred Harper and Carol Lay. This is taking place in the 1989 Batman universe, except for Dragonfly Man. This continues to be Batman, but not quite, and taking on some deteriorical properties here. Here we get a Joker who is very like Prince who coincidentally yeah. provided the soundtrack for the 1989 Batman movie. What do you right. think about this one? Pete, you said that's right. Yeah, I was just talking about the Prince stuff. Yeah, it's nice to see Prince get some do. You know what I mean? Uh, nice little purple shout out. Nice kind of a fun character. It kind of <laughs> feels a purple. little, yeah, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it was cool to kind of see super creative, fun design felt very 80s uh at the same time yeah i think this is uh really well drawn and well executed um i i like this as well ahoy comics continues to just have fun with a lot of their books and this is doing the same thing to like you said alex to tell a story that is right next to um the original batman movie but exploring it in like a more uh sort of self-aware way i think uh, is maybe a good way of putting it is just a, a fun read agreed bolero number five from image comics written by wyatt kennedy art by luana vecchio this is the final issue of bolero a multiverse jumping love story that comes to an end here 
or does it? There's a little bit of a question mark there at the end. Justin, I know you were super into this one in particular. How'd you feel about how it wrapped up? Um, I like it. I think this is a beautifully drawn book. It's um, touching on interesting things that are sort of very much in the zeitgeist in our comic book world as uh, a multiverse of madness is where we all dwell. And the fact that they pinned it on um, such a, a specific relationship and a character that makes mistakes, m makes poor choices a lot, but we are constantly understanding the motivation why is very fun. And um, I think this is a great, this will be a great um, full piece to read if you haven't been picking it up. Pete, what about you? Yeah, really great art. Some very interesting storytelling, kind of tripped out fun. Uh, I agree with what you were saying, Justin, in terms of reading it as a whole. I feel like reading it month to month, I lost a little bit of a track of the characters just because there was so much space there and there were other things we were reading. But ultimately, what I think was really good about this was the connection between the two main characters. It sort of purposefully broke apart as it went on, not just in terms of the characters breaking apart, but even down to the lettering breaking it apart and becoming shakier as it went, as the main character became shakier. And just like you were saying, from an artistic perspective, absolutely beautiful. Definitely pick this up in collection. Next up, Batman the Night, number five from DC Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Carmine Dia Di Gia Domenico. In this issue, Batman, or rather young Bruce Wayne, is continuing his training, this time with another youth who is also looking for similar training and here they are learning about subterfuge they're learning about disguise and specifically bruce wayne is learning he's not that charming he's not a charming yeah, guy he's gotta be Ugh. you gotta work on it you gotta you gotta work the people a little bit yeah i mean this... i've never been exposed to that lesson but i understand why it happens <laughs> oh my god uh shut up i i i love all the twists and turns in this comic Really amazing art, cool exploration of the Batman character. Uh, yeah, this is just a, this series has been a ton of fun. Um, I've never really read a story where we flash back into Bruce Wayne's life, so it was really refreshing <laughs> to see a, get a look at sort of a younger uh, version of the character dealing with some stuff. Um, but Joking aside, this does still add, still carves out a, a piece in the well-trod um, Batman Begins or Batman Year One canon to find some interesting stuff. The art is truly fantastic. Um, uh, and um, the uh, Cassandra Nova, all I could think of was Cassandra Nova from this character that pops sure. up here. Um, which was, because she's a bald lady. Well, and like literally looks like Cassandra Nova. Sure. Even beyond that, the eyebrows, the um, uh, villainness. Mm -hmm. um, sure, sure, yeah. The, the fact that her name is Nisandra Kova. Yeah, that had a big um, uh, part of part to do with it. Yeah, this is great. Next up, Black Hammer Reborn, number 12 from Dark Horse Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Caitlin Yarsky. This is the final issue of Black Hammer Reborn as we are kicking off yet another Black Hammer series ominously titled black hammer the end Whoa. but here is yeah, it feels like things are definitely ending here the last issue was one of my favorite issues of this run as we went back to the farm we found out that the new black hammer's children were in fact alive she is dealing with the repercussions of that in this issue she thought they were dead the entire time is she going to save the multiverse is she going to be with her children that's the big conflict here 
love how this plays out. It's so big. It's so phenomenal. What did you guys think, though? Well, yeah, it was cool to see Skull Digger get an upgrade. That was really cool. Um, yeah, it's this classic kind of like setup of the kind of hero's choice or the hero's burden. Like, does the hero choose to be happy or does the hero choose to sacrifice himself and family or whatever for the greater good of saving the day? And here we kind of get an interesting choice that kind of really has crazy effects on everybody else. Um, yeah, I was really surprised by what I saw and how it kind of uh, unfolded, which really talks to the writing and kind of the uh, the way things are kind of uh, uh, done in this in this way. Uh, yeah, just super creative, very cool character designs. This has been just a fun run. Um, I feel like so. Uh, Black Hammer does this sort of amazing thing of um, pulling, creating this super team in this universe that is like a, a Justice League and Avengers sort of analog, right? Um, and and plays it out. But most stories like that, you, it's like a four issue or a six issue series, and it's like, yeah, what if they um, ended up uh, being babies at the end or whatever the premise is? This just plays out ideas using these characters and really goes for it as opposed to so much else and to get into and we see characters making the choice they don't make like pete's talking about a character that's like you know what i'm not gonna do the crossover yeah and, and like that's exciting that like to see the same we never character. see that yeah no mm -hmm. and, and that like that's where the heat is for black hammer for me when i read it i'm like oh wow to see the martian manhunter type character have different qualities and make different choices that are perhaps more rooted in real human emotions mm -hmm. is exciting. And that's what every, every part of this series has done really well. And so to, to tip into the end where we find out where these characters will finally go, um, is really exciting. Like we get, there's such a direct reference. We get, um, the, uh, what is it? The, um, the parliament of, of weirds or, mm -hmm. or whatever. And it's like, that's, straight out of fantastic four yeah but it's still it's different here it means something else they're not as good as reed richards in in a good way in a way where i'm like oh this is recognizable but interesting great stuff next up here's another ending rain number five from image comics story by joe hill art by david m boer art by zoe thorogood uh. we had david m boer and chris ryle the editor of this on the live show a couple of months back so definitely check that out hey do we talk to him about rain no. Uh yeah, no, it no. Pretty, it was pretty weird. We had the team on and we instead talked to them about Sun. The crazy thing is we talked Sun. about just regular rain. We talked about oh. like the weather. We were like, Oh yeah, I like um rain just like emotionally walking around in the rain. <laughs> So this takes place in a world where rain is falling like needles. It is killing off people very quickly. We are following one main character who suffered loss there and a lot of stuff comes out the truth comes out by the yeah end of we get issue. to kind of see the story behind the rain now i'm very curious to hear from you guys because i did read the short story that this was based on before this came out so i had a very different experience i imagine reading this title than you guys did how did this ending strike you in particular uh, I thought it was good. I really thought it made a lot of sense also heartbreaking the way this thing ends um just very emotional, a lot going on. 
Uh, but yeah, I'm very also very powerful and very cool. I was very impressed with this. Arp is bananas good, and uh, I I think there's some really cool character studies in this. Uh, very creative. Um, in the, at the end of the last issue, I think we said there's another issue. Like it feels like we wrapped everything up. Um, a lot of emotional stuff, and and this issue brings a lot of plot conclusion to us, mm-hmm. it, which is something that I never. Th- this series did such a good job of of telling its story without needing to know a lot of why. And this issue brings a lot of why together. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, and I liked it, but I was also like much more interested in where our characters ended up and was treated to some sad things that I was like, oh, I didn't need to see the sad well, things happen. Well, you, you did, you saw it. I know. I, uh, but a lot of sad things gonna, happened in earlier issues. Too. I'm just going to back up what you're saying, though, Justin, because that was kind of my reaction to the comic book series versus the short story. I think ultimately the plot stuff worked a lot better in the short story, the way that it was set up, the way that yeah. it played out. There's just there's more time spent there on the causes of the rain and why it's happening and people talking about that. And yeah. to your point, what it, this comic book excelled in emotion. A lot of that yes. was through David and Brewer's writing, but also particularly Zoe Thorogood's art, which was so yeah. beautiful and so heartfelt throughout the run uh, that I agree with you. When we got to this final issue, I was like, I like this, but this, this it felt like it came out of nowhere a little bit, even though I yeah. knew exactly where we were going. Um, yeah. Again, having read the story, but still great series, definitely worth checking out. Let's Yeah, I, I just want to kind of uh, quickly say, because I feel like, uh, I hear what you're saying, but also the fact that at the end we do get inside these characters' heads and get the why, I think was super important for the ending and uh, kind of really kind of uh, uh, talked to, like, For me, I felt like, oh, uh, we really got to know a lot of characters' motivation. And yes, it was kind of a little bit of an info dump at the end, but I didn't mind because of the slow kind of burn of everything else that it kind of made this uh, last issue a little bit more explosive and kind of uh, crack things open in an interesting way. So uh, I really appreciated it. Yeah, You're going to love how actu- how rain happens for us, too, when you figure that out. Uh, okay. Are you secretly doing something evil with rain that I should know about? Let me know. You let me know. From your end, how it feels. Oh, boy. Wonder Woman Evolution, number seven, from DC Comics, written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Stefano Raphael. In this issue, we get a big bunch of revelations about what has been going on with Wonder Woman, why she has been put through these trials, why Silver Swan is having ha, has been there a bunch of times, what exactly is going on with this weird doctor who is testing Wonder Woman. I thought this was great. I'm loving this series. I'm very excited about the end here. I think this has been a weird, interesting, twisty Wonder Woman story that I can't wait to see how it all turns out. Yeah. Real quick, Pete, it was Vodka Tonic Rain. I'm trying to make Vodka Tonic Rain Ooh, for you. That's going to be like, very dangerous. Just, just be something. Very... It's like a birthday present for you. Yeah, and what sucks is I like vodka soda, so the tonic's going to be a little extra sting on there that uh, really <laughs> that's hurts. Why that's burning you in that uh, one. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, the Wonder Woman Evolution number seven. I love the kind of villain that we got to get to spend some time with. I'm very excited for the setup for Wonder Woman versus this villain. I think uh, the kind of the stakes and the setup here that we're getting in this issue is great. 
I agree with Zalvin. This has been a ton of fun, and I'm having a great time here. Uh, it's such a weird Wonder Woman story, and I say that it, as a compliment. Like, it is we, Wonder Woman is out of the normal storytelling range where it's like myths coming for her. This is like into like technology and out into a whole other space, and I like that, and I think it really works. Uh, I also want to point out that there is like a variant cover where. A Wonder Woman is beheading Medusa, and the Medusa on that cover is just so uh, unbelievable. It's it's very enjoyable, worth checking Meduse! out. Medusa, the Medusa. Snakeheads are your kink, though, right, Pete? Nope. Well, let's not put that out there. Mm, okay. Well, it is though. We, it's gonna be our secret. No. We'll cut this. We'll cut <laughs> this part out. Yeah, yeah, sure. We do a lot of great editing on the show. Oh, thanks, man. Slumber number three <laughs> from Image Comics, written by Tyler Burton Smith, art by Vanessa Cardinelli. Cardinelli? Sure, we'll edit that part too. Yeah. Uh, in this issue, our dream hunters are finally closing in on the weird being who has been uh, invading their lives for a very long period of time. We get some Causing twists problems. there. I, I love this book. I'm having such fun reading it. There's weird, messed up things that happen in every single issue. It's a blast. It is a blast. There's a lot of like crazy twists and turns and things that happen that you're just like, what the fuck? Uh, it's, like a, it's a blast. It's a shotgun blast to the chest. at one point in this issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Insane art. Really cool. Uh, just over the top fun. Uh, yeah, it's very impressive the speed and the pace that this comics maintains. Uh, yeah, I I really enjoy it. It's definitely worth checking out. Bananas art. Um, the art and story feel like a combination of two things I really enjoy: Adventure Time and Ren yeah. and Stimpy. Mm-hmm. Sort of like an edgier Ren and Stimpy um, in a cool way, while at the same time having this sort of underlying story of being of people hunting um, nightmares in their lives. So, uh, yeah, it's all in uh, happy places for me. Last but not least, as mentioned, this was requested by Sky Juggler over on Apple Podcast. Asterios Polyp, a graphic novel by David Mazzuchelli. If you never read this, this is a book about a architect. I believe he's an architect, right? Yeah, architect. goes on a journey of self-discovery after his uh, home burns down. It is narrated by the spirit of his twin brother who died oh. in the womb. Uh, and it shows, jumps back and forth throughout his entire life, showing how he is broken, shows how he got there, shows the love of his life and what happened there, as well as other various parts. It deals with some of the major themes of it. It deals with duality, of course, because you got the two brothers, among other things. But also, one of the things that makes this book so phenomenal is Stephen Magicelli playing with design and playing with form down to, I believe this is the version you have there, Justin, the yeah. cover is smaller than the book, specifically to draw attention to the design of the spine of the book. That's the level of meticulous yeah. detail that's in there. Things fall apart into geometric shapes throughout the panels and coloring are specifically laid out throughout. This is legitimately one of my favorite graphic novels, but also I think generally recognized as one of the best graphic novels of all time. It was a pleasure to revisit it again because it's been a very long time since I've read this one and it continues to be as phenomenal as the first time I've read it. 
it's a hard read because the character of Asterius Polyp is a not a great guy as you're no. following him, kind of a terrible guy, in fact. And I imagine that probably, we'll get to it in a second, uh, points to one of the things that Pete probably didn't like about it. But Justin, uh, you have a copy there. You were flipping through it. What did you think about this one? I mean, like you said, beautiful art that... Um is its own sort of story throughout at, uh, underlying uh, like all the, uh, the, the character stuff that is driving the main narrative here. It reminded me of a lot of um, rereading it now reminded me of a lot of just elemental things. And I was like, Oh, I haven't seen anything like this in a long time. One of my favorite cartoons growing up was called Donald in math magic land. Mm-hmm. Is this, does this ring any bells? Yeah. It's a Disney cartoon where Donald duck goes through math and he's like not good at it but all these we see all this great like math history and math that is sort of happening to donald duck and that feels like a tonal uh layover on this book where it's like a character who is dealing with a lot of aspects of his life the narration sort of being a part of that laid on a character that doesn't understand um uh, perhaps his motivations throughout um which is uh, really cool and then like Another graphic novel um, to reference sort of that is uh, one of held up as one of the best of all time is Blankets. And this has a little bit of that as well, I think, in it. If you're a fan of that but haven't read this, I would recommend it. Um, Blankets dealing with a character uh, struggling with his own sort of internal uh, religious versus like um, uh, life choices, I guess. And this sort of has that same thing where it's a character going against their uh, philosophy in different at different times and um, eventually and, and, and then just living their lives, I guess is a way a good way to put it. All right. Great. My my turn. Uh, Yeah. So uh, there's some things I agree with. I think the art is bananas. Uh, It's uh, very interesting, very kind of tripped out in a heady way. I love the shout outs to Ithaca, New York. Uh, Makes a lot of sense, you know, but it just kind of reminds me of uh, somebody that I know uh, who just likes to talk and is just kind of like, self-absorbed self-interested you know just kind of like one of these cornell people who just like to i like to hear my own voice you know type of people so it's hard to spend the whole time with somebody that is driving you insane you know what i mean and hannah you know finally sticks up for herself is like you're a piece of shit i just give a little bit of context in the book, Hannah is sort of Asterius Polyp's true love, or at least his longest continuous relationship. Um, she is the opposite personality from him almost. And the touch point there, I believe, is Orpheus and Eurydice is yeah. the myth that he's playing off of there. So she's driven away. She goes to hell. She goes to the underworld. You could probably pause it from there, but go ahead, Pete. Yeah, so she finally sticks up for himself and is like, hey, you're a piece of shit. Uh, I'm out of here. And then kind of later in life, they reconnect and he's grown as a person. And she kind of puts up with them, uh, puts up with him for a little bit. Um, I, I just think that like, first off, great ending, very cool uh, uh, kind of heady stuff, which is, which is enjoyable. But the problem with having a douchebag as a main character is it's just a little bit infuriating. Um, but um, 
still with all that being said uh you know it does achieve some incredible things as a as a comic it's interesting to me uh pete do you, are there is there a story you can point to that you love where the main character is not the hero or a hero um where yeah, the main character gravel like, uh no not yeah, maybe concrete? Gravel. concrete um i was just thinking cause, I, I would say concrete's a hero gravel yeah. is interesting that's interesting we're he's talking kind about of a very, douche, douche gravel is an ingredient in a lot of concrete so it makes well right sense. but like gravel he's uh, this kind of magician who's not light you know what i mean so yeah. he's kind of not a hero um i don't know uh I don't know. Yeah, I I do and, like and this to. Is a, this no, is not a criticism. You're, you're, no, no, but you're right though yeah, because yeah. it's like real life is hard. People are douches. So in comics and these things, I like them to be inspiration. Show what's great about people. Be better yeah. than you know what I mean. So I guess yeah, you're right. This isn't gonna be, fall into my wheelhouse. But that, and that's not a knock. Like I I totally understand that. Um, my my taste goes a. a, a cross the uh, sort of a little in a little different direction i think than yours where like a character that makes the wrong choice is interesting to me because right. that's something that like like we were talking it, about with black hammer that you know that different yeah, choice 100 yeah. and like that's a little bit triggering where it's just like oh that's there, there's something about like my life and like always being like i'm the oldest in my family always like uh like oh you're like do the right thing and like to see to read a story where someone's like nah i'm not gonna do that i'm like oh boy this is titillating what's it like <laughs> to do that so like i i appreciate that in this character where they're like a little like a little bit of a dick and they're like just they're, like selfish in a way and like so there's something about that that i actually like to see and it helps that it is fictional so i don't have to own the stakes of this person's choices um in, in what happens. Well, and I also think there is something to be said for, and this is something that I think the book deals with as well in terms of art making you feel uncomfortable, that a yeah. lot of comics we get, we read, we have reviewed in the stack tons of books where the heroes are like, I'm going to do the right thing. And mm -hmm. I, we're always going to win because of that. That's not what this is. This is providing, like you're saying, Justin, something entirely different. And it's pushing against that and giving us, frankly, a more realistic portrayal of a human being, because often we think we're doing the right things, but we're actually leading ourselves down a deep, dark, terrible path like happens here. I mean, not to call out another myth, but there's also shades of um, uh, Odysseus that are in here as well. And Odysseus in the Odyssey is not a great guy either. Like he's kind of yeah. a hero, but also does some pretty terrible shit. Well, and that's what I love about using mythology as sort of a touch point, because like those stories, which were like, we don't know, I guess, really, but like we're we are taught that they were guiding principles for the ancient Greeks or whatever, and they like talked about them, like, well, you remember Odysseus fucked up, um, but they they were flawed. All those characters like mm -hmm. messed up constantly, and if we as a society like idolize people who messed up all the time, we would be in a way better place because it would be so much easier for us to understand ourselves. We're like, well, this character, this God I worship is selfish and messes up all the time. And we see the price they pay for it. 
I understand that better and I identify with that. Uh, and so that's why I appreciate that. I mean, I think you, I understand what you're saying, but I also do think things like the Greek myths teach important lessons, like the one where Zeus turns into a swan and then fucks that lady. The lesson there is don't fuck a swan, you know? <laughs> yeah, and that's something that I think back in ancient Greece is like, God, all these people are Big fucking problem. swans. Big how problem. do we stop that? <laughs> how, do, how do we stop Let's that? write a myth. Let's but, write a myth. I do. I do. There are there are panels that really stick with me. Uh, there's this one panel where it's just kind of like the invisible kind of cut out of the main character, and the char- main character gets on the train, but the the invisible person stays uh, on the kind of like on the platform, and it just oh, I was like ah, like no, you know, just the uh, the choice that that made, and just kind of the 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 emotion that evokes uh, is really impressive. Well, that's why I think this book does a great job of not, it's not saying like, this guy's cool. He's doing all the right <laughs> things. It's sort of like, look at, let's, I, let's examine this person. And that to me is like great myths out there. Like that's what we examine this person. And we're not like, I'm going to do exactly what um, uh, narcissist does. <laughs> like no you're like oh hey it's not cool to just look at your reflection in a pond your whole life you're gonna turn into a fucking flower yeah that's gonna happen or if you don't make the right wish if you wish for eternal life but not eternal youth you're gonna be a grasshopper buddy no boy. Yeah, see these are all great lessons and that <laughs> i use every day every day i do that, that explains a lot you should check out Asterios Polyp, though, which legitimately is a beautiful piece of art and also at times kind of a fun read, even when it's really tough to read. So I don't want to undervalue that either. It's just it's a very enriching experience if you've never checked it out. Thank you, Sky Juggler, for suggesting it. Really sky appreciate juggler. that. Sky Juggler, you got a lot on your plate, too. So like, keep <laughs> juggling sky that Sky Juggler. If you'd like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. And I'm going to be at the banana shop getting all these bananas that Pete is talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>